0: Welcome, welcome to the Creep
1: Dive. Happy Hallelujah.
2: We are all here and I have a little Creep of the Week that's come via Slay Bob on Twitter. Yeah. He says, we haven't had a good old fashioned dead parent in the freezer story for a while. Oh, we
0: haven't. And
2: that is true, Bob. And thank you for supplying it. So, we have a headline. Man kept father's dead body in freezer so he could talk to it. This is actually kind of bittersweet. (sighs) So he's been caught. This guy, this Dutch guy... This all happened in the Netherlands. Doesn't everything We never, no, we never really get Dutch, like, strange Dutch people. Well, the jizzer well. was a Dutch man. Who was the jizzer? The Swiss, cheat. G- no. Last week's, uh, you know, oh, pa- had fathered, fathered 500. 550 children. Ah, yes, uh, yes, yeah, yes, yeah. yes, yes. Which I suppose... Altruistic. Maybe he was just a
0: people pleaser, though, because people love Dutch sperm. Oh, Maybe people course. kept asking him, and he was like,
1: How can I refuse? I <laughs> am generous. The come father. Santa Cummus. There's something else. Come along, 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 lum come.
2: <laughs> Big old sack full of gifts. Big old sack, yeah. Yeah, he's full of love. Yeah. Just got so much love to give. Absolutely. He's Jugs of it. Um, okay, so anyway, this is. Uh, Police caught this man storing his father's dead body in his freezer after other family members and the family doctor had been worried for some time about how the late father, who was 101 years old, was, was doing. So, basically, they... We're just like, where is that a hundred year old guy I was treating <laughs> yeah, recently? Yeah, yeah, of course. Move too fast. And the sun, get away on me. They, you know what? There's a very short age gap. Or I suppose maybe when you're this old, what age, what age gap means anything? But basically, the son was eighty two, so a lonely old man, mm. and he just didn't want to let him go. He said, "I would miss him. I'd Aww. miss him." And also, 81, 82 years old, fair fucks to him for getting a body into a freezer in the first place. Like, what's his regime? Is he doing the Pilates? Is he doing the F45, five Gen? Is he in <laughs> class with you? What a legend. Like, dead bodies are heavy. Even frail 101-year-olds got to well, be that's heavy. That's what I was
1: going to say. You are 101, you're just a bag of bones.
2: Not if you're living it up, as I intend to be. At 101. Oh, yeah. A bag of, but even a bag of bones. When you're 82, you're kind of bones, bag of bones boning up yourself. yourself. Yeah, 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 yeah. So anyway, he the the dad's been in the freezer for 18 months. The son just wanted to keep the up the chats. He just wanted to keep talking to him, which is incredible because I, if if it was my beloved mother, I I would say. Well See a good luck Chats were had
1: mm-hmm.
2: No need to carry on All of this Simmering resentment And chats Would you like to live To be a hundred Yeah My
0: granny now is 90 And she's fit as a fiddle And she's like I don't want to be a hundred I was like We don't want you to be a hundred either <laughs>
2: <laughs> She's saying I think we'll If I was close I'd want to go the distance It'll Like I'd so want to get annoying. three figures Well yeah.
0: now we're all expected To live into our Into our hundreds maybe not you two
1: Doing what though
0: but that they're going to have to start adapting to the you know, they will start adapting the world because people are growing older they'll make us work till we're 80 Ugh. we'll have wearable tech devices that are like take me to the toilet ai will do everything for
2: us mm. it'll be so grim it's
0: hard to imagine i suppose if ai takes over some work stuff and the the chores are we all going to be really lazy then and sedentary? And is that going to
1: have impact? Never our happen. Health? You remember Tomorrow's World and they were like, you'll have a robot hoovering your house? Sorry, that uh, does not exist. That that does exists. exist. <laughs> but they can't get up the stairs. What about those no. chairs? Oh, and no, I think they've, they've gone down, the I
0: really think they've gone down the wrong route with the robots and making them look like sexy gimps. Like the bottom half of That's them the should be. the only way we can
1: have progress. If men can fuck it, it'll get better progress they are so helpful.
0: weird looking it's like why would you give a robot knees give it wheels and make the bottom of half is just like a dustbin or like a proper big hoover that
2: can go down the stairs actually
1: a bin that follows you around
2: oh god i have so one so convenient it's called a toddler oh yeah that's mm. true and it talks oh well, that's a problem non-stop but anyway just uh, to wrap up our poor little 82 year old son who's just lonely so far, no charges. Okay, because he was really only storing, it. You know, like it's not. There's no. There's no sense that there was foul play for starters, All and right. it's not like he was picking up the uh, the kind of time. checks after the death. It seems yeah. authorities are investigating. He didn't but want to they be They did st- say st- the st- house was in this. Is what was challenging him I'd say Just the bureaucracy of like getting the funeral home And stuff like that Yeah he was just delaying No he just wanted to talk to his dad It's so sad Mm. But they did say that the house was A fucking mess Like a rumba wouldn't have a hope Yeah he was given a week to clean it up before, I don't know by who. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. or, or officials or were like, "My God, man, you have one week to pull your socks up." And we're taking Dad it. out of the freezer. Aww. So anyway, thank you, Bob. Slay. Bob. Um, I think we've got one. Cassie Delaney.
0: We have a big story now. This is so annoying because I've like loads of little snippets as well that I'm just I'll save for another time or at the end if we want something a bit lighter. Um, actually, this is this isn't particularly distressing so settle in and let me tell you i did have a panic attack as we were going to get coffee i just had this moment where i was like have i done tell this, this before <laughs> <laughs> well i don't think i have but come inside the world of an, an elite league of investigators called the Vidoc society nothing you're shaking your head second podcast house agrees Oh, no, I don't have no idea what it is. Nothing. Okay. I can't believe we haven't come across this before, right? The Vidoc Society is a members-only crime-solving club in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, named after Eugene-Francois Vidoc, the groundbreaking 19th-century French and first private detective who helped police by using the psychology of the criminal to solve cold cases. He himself was a former criminal. He created the Private Detective Agency – He's also considered to be one of the fathers of modern criminology for numerous inventions, for example, in edible ink. Um, <laughs> indelible, indelible ink.
2: It just sounds like something from the joke shop.
0: Sorry, indelible ink. Right, I'm here. Stick with me. It's a long story and I'm sensitive. Okay. So, uh, and and unbreakable bond paper. Also major advances such as the introduction of undercover work. Um, and record-keeping systems for criminal investigations. He did the first ever plaster cast impressions of shoe prints. So he was Vidocq himself, cool guy, nothing wrong with him, advanced criminology, and he, you know, he invented things that, I don't He's know, He's kind crimes. of crafty.
2: Yeah, kind yeah, of cool. Got his I, plaster of Paris out.
0: I'm sure there'd be a really cool, like, French, noir... Film about him and uh, being in his opening his first private detective office.
2: I want to know what his crime was.
0: I'd say petty crime. Yeah, maybe so the petty, crafty stuff. <laughs> the petty
2: crime is the crime I can get behind. <laughs> <laughs> <Like what? laughs> just petty, just people doing crimes that are petty. I like it.
0: Okay, so the modern day Vidork society. Members are forensic professionals, current and former FBI profilers, homicide investigators, scientists, psychologists, prosecutors, and coroners who use their experience to provide new insights for investigations that have gone cold. Membership is capped at 82 people, one for every year of Vidoc's life. The society was formed in 1990 by a man called William Fleischer, Richard Walter, who we're going to talk about today, and Frank Bender. Okay. <laughs> that's sorry. his name, Mr. Bender.
2: <laughs>
0: right. At least laugh into your microphone. No, she's eating, she's eating a sandwich.
2: She's eating a whole fucking sandwich. Over a there. very
0: crunchy one. Absolute I'm so sorry. Cheek-over. I did absolutely berate you in there, saying that's clearly a wrap, and it was obviously the world's <laughs> crunchiest roll. Um. So society formed in 1990. They solved their first case in 1991, clearing an innocent man of an involvement in the murder of Huey Cox in Little Rock, Arkansas. I didn't say Arkansas, Arkansas. Huey Cox. Huey Cox. So, and they were also investigating a 1957 murder, um, called the Boy in the Box, and they solved. They were involved in solving the murder of Terry Brooks, which I'll tell you about now. So they hit they hit the ground running this yeah. secret society of all these cool yeah. dudes who are interested in solving crimes like think of it as they, they meet once a month they have certain criteria to take on
2: a crime yeah, to take on a case true crime forums yeah yeah then yeah I'm very impressed with the legwork I, I would say they're all kind of personality wise probably a bit unbearable
0: Yeah, 100%. Lots of tweet going on here. But I think one of the things that this is really missing is white women with podcasts. Like they should definitely add that to the 82 people and the society, right? Here are some of the requirements. The case must must be unsolved. It must be an unsolved murder more than two years old and it has to be formally presented to them by the appropriate law enforcement agency. So it's for teams who have like really hit a wall. Uh They're like, call in the big leagues. Let's get Vidocq involved in this. So let's go into the Terry Brooks murder. So Terry Brooks was stabbed inside the Roy Rogers restaurant. Um, What year was it? In 2000, I think it was, but I'll confirm that in a second. So she was stabbed inside a restaurant where she had been working. An extremely violent attack. And then her head was wrapped in cling film. Fuck. Yeah. She was beheaded. No, just that her, her head was wrapped in cling film afterwards. A knife
2: wound. Did you think that the head was loose and it had been wrapped in cling film to stay yeah. fresh?
0: Well. Uh, I mean, look, it's a weird, weird, perplexing case. Um, she had a big knife wound in her throat. Good Lord. The safe inside the restaurant had been manipulated, so investors thought the murder was a robbery gone wrong. For 14 years, the case was unsolved until the case was brought to the Biddock Society meeting. After listening to officers from Falls Township, where the crime had taken place, after listening to them describe the case, Richard Walter, one of the founders of the Vidox Society, stood up and told the officers that this wasn't a robbery gone wrong and that Terry Brooks had been targeted and murdered by someone she knew. Mm-hmm. When you look at the body and you look to the crime scene itself, it was obvious that it was not a robbery, Walters explains. What robbery suspect would stab someone so viciously that the knife enters the tile floor and then <gasps> wrap the head in cling film? Yeah. Oh, a robber is simply not going to do that. It's not efficient. There's no value in that kind of activity. So you have to look how he spends his time and his interest by what's there and by what's not there. So Walter thought the staged robbery was simply a red herring staged by a suspect to throw police off his trail. They then the police then asked Walter to create a profile of a potential suspect. And he said, given the amount of violence at the scene and how it was personalized to the victim, Walter suspected the murderer wasn't a stranger. Also, the victim had let the suspect in. So therefore, the presumption was that she knew him. There's extreme hostility, and you see that he doesn't really care when the victim dies. He cares when his anger has been sated. So it's simply a matter of watching. It was simply a matter of watching and pl- plugging in the bits and pieces along the way. In this case, it's reasonable to assume it's the boyfriend. Ooh. So members of the Vidox Society talked to Terry Brooks's parents, asking them about any possible boyfriends. They remembered one, a man they thought was named O'Keefe. The detectives scoured arrest records and articles for any mention of it O'Keefe and they found nothing until they looked at the funeral guest book for Terry Brooks. Sure enough, a, na- a man named Alfred Scott Keefe had signed into Brooks's funeral registrar. Police officers obtained a warrant to get Keefe's DNA from cigarettes he threw out at the curb. It matched DNA from the crime scene and after an interrogation, he confessed. 16 months later, he was sentenced to life in prison without her role.
2: Whoa! What did he write in the guest book? Just his name, I guess. You know, yeah, you just do funeral, yeah. But you know, you write a message a lot of the time, don't you? Sometimes I can't remember. <clears throat> okay, anyway, that is wow. Walter knows his shit.
0: So Walter starts being recognized as like a real life Sherlock Holmes because this is what he does. He stands up, he paints these elaborate profiles of the perpetrator, and then everyone's like, he's got it spot on. Now, spoiler, he does often say it's the boyfriend or the husband or whatever else, but he becomes... Because it often is. Because it often is, right? And you're just usually looking for proof. So, Richard Walter is billed as one of America's preeminent criminal profilers and an investigative wizard who can examine a few clues and conjure a perfect portrait of the murderer. So, he himself, really fitting the bill of Sherlock Holmes here, tall, gaunt vague english accent um (laughs) if he likes a chardonnay um he was never photographed in anything but a dark suit thin tiny smile um and he was tiny yeah tiny smile like not just a like little a little i want to see him yeah so it's uh and journalists and stuff and and kind of People writing profiles about him start to reference him as the living Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> Not the living end. So let's go into another case that was brought to the Vidoc Society. Um, one night on the 28th of June in 2000, sorry, this is the one that happens in 2000. A 15-year-old girl named Leah Freeman left a friend's house and set off on her own um she was seen walking past a place called McKay's market a credit union a high school but she never made it home at the at a gas station a county worker found one of her sneakers oh so the local paper published Leah's f- school photo and police put together a ten thousand dollar reward for information leading to her safe return but um and they had like a big sign set up a big billboard set up with details of her um a description of her and trying to get information of her but the case case quickly goes cold here no killer caught the police had initially treated leah as a runaway before mounting a search and when the fbi and state police finally arrived investigators were too far behind they never recovered months turned into years and police dwelled on one suspect whose story never quite made sense to them a man called Nick McGuffin. He was 18, Leah's 18-year-old 18 boyfriend. Friends had seen them argue. Police said he switched cars the night she vanished and failed a polygraph. The hunch was there, but the physical evidence was not. So the case goes unsolved for 10 years until it's taken to the Vidox Society. So in Philadelphia, members of the, the original prosecution team, members of that police team, present Leah Freeman's murder to the Vidocq Sock. Later at a private dinner Walter starts creating this tantalizing profile that suggests that the killer was indeed MacGuffin the boyfriend who they had suspected all along. So soon he travelled to the um where
2: is it what Cork- a party Corko- guest. Oh, I know. Like he Jesus, just Jesus that'd be good, wouldn't it? He can't it's um like a medium. Yeah, except real. Well, yeah. Though, know, though, like what's the kind of, you know, hit rate of Criminal profilers. Do you know that kind of way? I know
1: like, what you mean. You Is know, it a bit typographers? They're or? often
2: like, oh, male, white, twenty-five to forty-five, Odd. lives with his parents. I mean, and they often, and, but
0: they they often get the profiles right because they can relate to the profilers because they themselves oh, are psychopaths. Usually, Is isn't that the Is thing? It? Is it? But isn't that it? They get inside the mind of the killer because they themselves are just have the minds of killers. But they decided to do good
2: it's like mind hunter
0: isn't that isn't that his whole shtick is that he has oh, the, the saying, weird yeah. murder gene yes
1: yeah, so, well dexter
0: although he's dexter doing but he also is a murderer he yeah. doesn't necessarily use it do you remember
2: him? your your guy jen who was investigating the psychopaths and then realized oh, that's right. he was reading the wrong brain scan and he was, was like, like this is
1: the worst psychopath i've ever seen oh and it was and his, his, his own Oh cell phone so. Cell phone And then all his mates were like Yeah it's obvious Yeah we kind of thought you were talking about this whole time Exactly And his mm. family agreed Oh
0: my god Yeah Okay So Walter travels up to um, the, the town It's in Oregon And he examines the crime scenes With the police chief Trailed by a camera crew From ABC 2020 Because oh. um, obviously like this is Okay we're in 2010 so the earlier in the 90s this you start seeing tv programs where you've got the profiler and you know you've got sherlock and like all of those things coming to prominence so they're very very interesting people Mm -hmm. so the thought that there's an american tv channel making a reality program about them, not that unbelievable so Building on the momentum of Walter's visit, the authorities decide to go in and arrest McGuffin, the, bo- the boyfriend, charge him with killing Leah. As he awaited trial, he watched the 2020 episode about his case from the Coos County Jail. There on TV was Walter, a man he had never met, accusing him of murder and Walter saying, it's sweet revenge. I take great personal satisfaction in hearing handcuffs click. McGuffin was convicted and sentenced to a decade in prison. so convicted on what this is the thing like this is a lot of it is like walter's word it's like going back to um the story did on the forensic dogs that like when they get that little bit of evidence they're like you fit the profile that's evidence you know yeah and these profiles are being created these profiles are being created by one of the most noteworthy profilers in america at this stage from this incredible vidocs society that is the like the creme de la creme of crime solvers move the over Mensa. mystery Inc. this is yeah this is the like secret society of crime solvers in a time where the internet and all that kind of stuff didn't exist and we didn't really have like true crime documentaries and all that kind of stuff oh, they're superheroes was, they were like the coolest of the cool long trench coats little burberry here and there awesome. a kind of paddy cap and a pipe and all men cast everyone was bought in i mean i'm assuming so okay but i don't know for sure but i mean mid-90s, early 90s, up to the noughties, just Just to probably assume that 82,
2: yeah. Do you know, did you come across the fact that Walter was responsible for John List's profile? Who's he so forget? Remember we did him, he was the guy who murdered his whole family, left him in the house, and then like went, ran off for the next 18 years until a sculpture of his head was shown on america's most wanted like so basically one of the other guys that you mentioned our friend frank bender mm. created a bust of john list using walter's profile and it kind of aged it to mm. reflect what 20 years might have like done to john list's face and then do you remember it was like one of john list's neighbors was watching america's most wanted and was like oh yeah uh, yeah, that's yeah So Um, that was massive cracks to the case.
0: Yeah, so there's a lot of that going on. A lot of, like, yeah, cool stuff if you're into that sort of thing.
2: Would they have been the
1: type of people kind of, like, not hated by the FBI or whatever the local police department
2: was, but sort of annoying? Yeah, but they they were bringing them the cases, which is kind of interesting. Because, like, they're not known for being, like, we failed on this one yeah have at it you know they probably had
1: the dogs in first no joy yeah then the mediums yeah but it would have been
0: it would have been very high profile i guess to get people and like the the fact the cases have to go cold maybe they're not the same investigators who are working on it they just like there's some like story hungry investigators who like pick up a cold case and they're like let's take this to vidoc they're meeting over there in philadelphia or wherever it is right so where does Richard Walter come from? Like, where did this man build up the credentials to be able to be one of the most prolific profilers in all of America? And how did he come to found the Vidoc Society and gain notoriety? Well, in his version of events, he says he was fated for a grim life studying criminals. But schoolmates who grew up with him in the rolling orchard country of 1950s Washington State, Remember, just an outgoing, popular kid who liked the piano and led the prayer round at the Seventh-day Adventist boarding school. Okay. So in September 1963, at the age of 20, he married a former classmate and briefly took a job at a funeral home. But his brother recalled in an interview that he didn't want to work with any old stinky bodies. So after 10 months, his wife filed for <laughs> divorce. Well, I mean, I don't blame rather. him. Saying mental cruelty as the reason for their divorce what? after 10 months. Then what happens over the next couple of years is unclear. He was asked in a, um, a disposition where he lived during that time period. And he said, I don't remember. So. Sorry, what? Yeah. Okay. So he's a bit of an. Sketchy uh, character. Yeah. Strange. Growing up. Yeah. Uh, m- wife
1: ex-wife says. Mental mentally- cruelty.
0: Yeah. Ooh. That he's not a nice guy. Mm. But there's the psychopath gene. Exactly. Maybe someone who has can relate to criminals because he thinks like them. But he isn't a criminal. He hasn't been He's charged. He's not a criminal that we know of. So Walter is kind of um, under the radar then after his divorce and he resurfaces in the public record in 1975 when he graduates from Michigan State University with a bachelor's and master's degree in psychology. He got an entry level position as a lab assistant in the L.A. County Medical's office, Medical Examiner's Office. Making him, and he was thirty three at this stage. Um, he's
2: a late bloomer.
0: Yeah, I mean, it takes. He it's got nice his to see it. masters and whatever, but he gets he's earning about three dollars an hour there washing test tubes. And um, he considered a doctoral <laughs> program, but it's in, a kitchen porter, basically in a lab. He's considered he's considering a doctoral program, but then instead in nineteen seventy eight, he's probably around thirty six. There is he. He takes a job as a staff psychologist at a place where he'd be able to see patients without any further qualifications. Mm. The Marquette Branch Prison on Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Ah. So obviously, usually to treat patients as a a, a psychologist, you need to have a doctorate. But apparently in the Michigan's prison, a a, um, a master's is sufficient. So he goes in and he's
2: able (laughs) to start... Jen just gave me the most, like, upturned nose ever.
1: I just like the idea of him. But like, he sounds off, obviously. But he's in there without a doctor, fiddling around with all the prisoners. No one's I asking just, He
0: questions. just changed
2: his first name to doctor by deedful.
0: <laughs> yeah. I think of all the people you were going to treat, then, as a psychologist, prisoners might be the one who need the most support. Yeah. And to go in there as someone who is a master's and very little experience working as a psychologist other than whatever training you get in your academic life, it seems...
2: It's a very male thing to do. Isn't it, yes. though? Well, and I say that with some amount of respect Love for it. Love yeah. for them.
0: Yeah. I mean, they're great when they get it right, but... Brass neck
2: um, is what it is. Yeah. yeah
0: the absolute neck. So, Walter is in dealing with the prisoners, and his relationship to them, his rapport is poor. He's yeah. conducting interviews through closed steel doors, very um, Silence of the Lambs, and he could be petty. An inmate sued Walter after he refused to pass along a dictionary sent in by his mother. So, like, weird, controlling, uh, elitist, maybe, like, how he's behaving. Certainly not treating these prisoners with any level of human decency or respect. Um, So... Yeah, he's two psychiatrist experts, and a federal judge questioned Walter's ability to diagnose mental disorders and render basic mental health services. So eventually, Walter's duties largely involved conducting intake interviews with in- inmates. um What I call meatball. What's stuff. your name? So Wedge you come from? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> how'd you get here? Um, so, yeah, it was just very, very simple stuff. Um, another psychologist described it as like meatball stuff where you talk to them, try and get an initial assessment of what they're like, make up a like a report before they're going down the diagnostic uh, route. So uh, he's kind of, you know, kept busy enough there. But away from the prison, Walter presented his job as giving him unique insights into the criminal mind he became a regular at conferences hosted by the American Academy of forensic Sciences, which was his which was rising in stature on the strength of specialities like hair microscopy bullet lead analysis, and criminal profiling so this is the time um you know we're in the early eighties I'd imagine here he takes the job in nineteen seventy eight so this is the time when profiling becomes like the the cool thing the like the focus of criminal investigations. The FBI's behavioral science use unit was going from like being something that was rarely looked at to being quite mainstream. And um, the profilers there had consulted on fewer than 200 cases in all of the 1970s, but by the middle of the next decade, they were providing hundreds of assists per year. So they began attracting big personalities. There were the stars and then the wannabe stars said a man called Park Dietz, a forensic psychiatrist who worked with the behavioral science unit. With those big stars, it became big egos. Um, and they would often gravitate towards big stories for narcissistic glory. No. Mm. So... um Walter's obviously drawn towards this um, and the idea of this and by 1982 he becomes a full member of the AAFS which is the American Academy of Forensic Scientists and um, which is a powerful credential to have on your CV if you're working in that thing that that world that realm so for the first time then in 1982 he he decides to um wade into the courtrooms and start throwing his weight around as a kind of profiler forensic expert but bear in mind has not worked with the law at all up until this point has kind of been demoted in his prison job and that he's been you know sidelined into these very rudimentary interviews and but he seems to have this real sense of grandeur about what he's capable of and what he can do. So um, there's a case of a man called Robbie Drake. Um, So in just before midnight on the 5th of December 1981, Robbie Drake was 17 as he was heading to an area um, of North Tonwanda in the States. Good effort. Thank you. It's T-O-N-A-W-A-N-D-A tonawanda tonawanda
2: love to hear it
0: north tonawanda um and it this oh, place north <laughs> yeah yeah so he's heading off 17 heading off to north tonawanda to a place filled with abandoned cars he um he's he's got loads of guns and knives and rifles it's america in his bag and so he takes aim at a 1969 chevy nova fired 19 rounds into the passenger side window Jesus. From inside the car, then he hears groaning. Oh, yeah. no. So, the location...
2: So, it wasn't, like, it was a... A scrapyard. scrapyard.
0: Scrap but also, beside the scrapyard was a uh, kind of like... Lover's lane. L- exactly. Oh, um, no. And his, his bullets had struck a couple called Stephen Rosenthal and Amy Smith, who were 18 and 16. Oh, God. Um, and then, Kate, well, then Robbie did go in and stab him to make sure that he was dead. Oh,
1: well, mm. in for a penny.
0: Yeah, I guess he didn't want him to survive an idea, or, like, yeah, didn't, like...
1: Well, like he didn't have initially. There wasn't murder intent, did. or he did, or maybe he or did. No, yeah,
0: maybe he did. Maybe he did.
2: Because, like, there's a you know visually a difference between scrapped cars and cars that are just parked, and
0: steamed up cars <laughs> with like handprints in the window. Yeah, and <laughs> oh um, so two police officers are <laughs> America. on Maraca, yeah. Um, two police officers are on a routine patrol. When they spot Robbie Drake stuffing Smith's body into the um where? Into the the boot of the Chevy Nova that, that they he'd were in. Shot up? Oh, yeah. For God's sake. But so, what about
1: her? Was she just
0: I mean I'm presuming she was dead. Oh God. Jesus. I mean nineteen bullets going into the car. Like
1: And then like all interfering with the fucking corpses. Never mind the stabbing bit. Like get yeah. help, you idiot. <laughs>
0: Seventeen. Um, So the case appears open and shut, but the prosecutor, Peter Broderick, saw weaknesses. Drake insisted it was all a mistake and that his reasons were just plausible enough to imagine holdouts on a jury. The scene had been dark. Drake said he'd shot the car for target practice, thinking it was empty and panicked when he heard Rosenthal and stabbed him to make the noise stop. However unlikely it sounded. The, judge, the prosecutor Broderick lacked a clear motive and intent would be the sole issue separating a murder conviction from a lesser charge of manslaughter. And he didn't know this pair. Yeah. Um, and all all Peter Broderick was looking for in this case was a um, a reasonable explanation for why it had happened. So Broderick suspected that Drake's motive was sexual and that he um and so he hired a man called Lowell Levine, a forensic odontologist to testify that faint marks on Smith's body were signs of post-mortem biting, which was possible evidence of a sex crime. So Levine suggests that to firm up that angle, the prosecutor should bring in another expert, someone he'd recently met at an AAFS conference. Two weeks later, Broderick drove to the airport and picked up Richard Walter. So on the stand at Drake's trial, Walter related an impressive and fictional resume. He falsely claimed that at the L.A. County Medical Examiner's Office, he reviewed more than 5,000 murder cases. Uh, uh, he, also 5,000. Said, he also said that he was a lecturer at Northern Michigan University. He had spoken there once informally. He said that he wrote criminology papers. He had, but none had been published. And he served as an expert witness That's at hundreds of trials. That. He testified in apparently two known cases um, and a, about a simple chain of evidence question in a civil suit against a car company. So he's getting full of himself into the court. He's like, this is my chance. I'm going to go in there. I've been reading all about this kind of stuff. I've been hanging out with these guys here at the conference. I'm cool. I'm going to go in. I'm just going to tell a bunch of lies so that it gives me the credential to, to be in this. Mm in the room So it probably starts off pretty innocuously. He's at the conference. He's having a few beers. He's lying to the his peers. He's like, "Yeah, this is me. 5,000 cases, you know.
2: 5,000." Like, around
0: this time is Oh, like easy? in in the, the 80s. He's like thir- he's like late 30s, early 40s. Do you know? Like he knows better. Lest we forget he's a late bloomer like. So he's like he's not a young like he's not a young fucking idiot straight out of college. He's like I just you know, and that's the thing. He also has that. He looks like ye. Like if you tell me 20 years of experience, I'd be like, of course you do. You're 50.
1: <laughs> I thought you were a shorthand in Kanye. Yeah. He looks like ye. Like <laughs> like, oh. uh, um, what's
2: his name again? I want to get a visual. Richard Walter. Cases. Remember, he has the small, small type small smile. smile. Um, yeah. So like the, the, he worked. It's just even if you did a case a day he really be, does have a small smile he does doesn't he <laughs> he's yourself. like a tiny little oh, mind man life. you're right and looks quite like John List. yeah um
0: so he's um he's in the courtroom anyway right uh so and and they're like they're hanging on bear in mind they want to get they want someone to pin this guy for like a weird motive so Walter tells the jury that Drake had committed a particular type of lust murder because he was driven by peakerism, an obscure mm. sadistic impulse to derive sexual pleasure from penetrating people with bullets, knives and teeth. Ooh. Drake's attorney told that is the court. not what
2: peakerism sounds like. I thought he was just like, he peaking. likes to take a peek. Yeah, or
1: pica, you know that the uh, yeah, impulse yeah. to eat things that are not food is that called pica or something? I That's know, blood, isn't it? It's
2: like a fancy name for peeping toms.
1: Yeah. A it's picar. a little a little French
0: picaism. Um Drake's attorney tells the court that he could not find any expert who had ever heard of picaism, but the judge denied his request for more time to find a rebuttal psychologist. Drake is convicted of second degree murder. Oh dear. Back in Michigan, Walter sent Broderick an invoice for securing two consecutive terms of 20 years to life. His fee, $300. Bear in mind, oh. he's in
1: the 80s. Bargain.
2: No,
0: not in the
1: 80s. Now, this guy. People were buying we...
2: houses for 300 euros in the 80s. Maybe you're right.
1: Before we feel sorry for the individual who. Drake. Drake. Sorry, he did go and stab that
2: exactly. guy. Exactly.
0: Yeah. yeah. We're not feeling sorry for the criminals. We're no. just kind of trying to get to where Walter became this, this super psych- super criminal
2: psychologist. I think it began with being born with a dick. Yeah, That's I'm it. sorry, guys. You You're not, not obviously not life, all of you, but his light
0: lilting English accent, a dick, and I a, think small a
2: small smile, smile get will you get you everywhere.
0: Just a little <laughs> wink. Um, so the trial is the end of Robbie Drake's freedom and the beginning of Walter's new career. Mm-hmm. He continues to testify in occasional murder trials, inflating his qualifications. And by 1987, when he takes the stand in the state of Ohio, Richard, Richard Hayes, he held himself out as a superstar in his field, telling the prosecutor that he is one of just 10 or so criminer, criminal profilers trusted by the FBI. So he's, like, he's doing a good line in pure though, yeah. do you know, for himself. Like, he, he, that must be respected. He's got the brand down.
1: Yes, he's faking
0: it. Faking it till he's,
1: and he's made it. So that's good for him. Yeah. But, I f- like, he has to fuck up or someone's about to rumble him.
0: Well, let's get on. Let's get on with it, right? So, um, just to give you a sense of what the zeitgeist was like at the time, uh, so... Silence of the Lambs comes out in nineteen ninety one. So oh. by that time, criminal profiling is like, ah, oh, yeah, it's yeah. so cool. Big everyone, direction. everyone wants to be a criminal profiler, right? Um, it was a very exciting time, says a woman called Jana Monroe, who's the FBI, <laughs> <laughs> FBI profiler. Sorry, just, a <laughs> just a random, <laughs> <woman>. <laughs> no, no, she was an FBI profiler who helped Jodie Foster prepare for her role oh, in Silence oh, of the Lambs. Cool. The FBI and the actual profilers don't love all the media attention, but as the Vidoc Society forms and moves into that kind of space, they uh, they fill that void for all that attention and the, all those
1: Presumably interviews. And it's the, not an exact science; it's fairly racist, I would presume.
2: Profiling, yeah, it's well. There'd be a lot of internal biases, yeah, yeah. and inter- so, probably internal. This biases. is why
0: this is why there are unsolved crimes because they assume they're all men. Oh. This is back to my theory that Jack the Ripper is Jacqueline the Ripper.
2: Oh, God. I thought you were calling it Jack A. Um I was going to say, and all, yeah, like, all you have to do is uh, memorize a couple of sentences. White male, between the ages of 25 and 45, lives with his mother. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that yeah. That is what they always come Incels. up with. Incels. Incels. Incels.
0: Mm. Um, so, big, big excitement for criminal profiling um and the the vidox society then obviously has formed in 1990 so reporters are loving the that they step in and they're willing to do all the media the hoopla and stuff especially the three co-founders walter this chain-smoking genius bender is the artist um he wears t-shirt and jeans amongst all the suits and then Fleischer was the teddy bear um gunman prone to tearing up t- prone to tearing up during presentations sorry not gunman good man <laughs>
2: um
0: so hollywood begins calling them obviously as does every tv network they want they want to create shows about these guys they want to create movies about these guys these are they like they're just so cool like a real life sherlock holmes what could be cooler? So um, CBS Forty Eight Hours comes to Philadelphia, the Philadelphia Dining Hall, to watch the Vidor Society consider the case of Zoya Azur, a twenty-seven-year-old who was found dead in the woods of Ocean County, New Jersey. Her fi- fiance named Ken Andrinko suspected of her death was um, suspected her death was a suicide, not a murder, and a friend of Andrinko's had approached the organization for help. Fleischer presented the facts and concluded in a Philly accent. Now our case begins. So the CBS correspondent Richard raced around the room to get all the theories. Murder or suicide, he's asking club members as they tuck into plates of chicken marsala. <coughs> murder, they all blurred out through full mouths. We haven't even gotten to dessert yet. So... Um, it's just like, <laughs> you can just guys. imagine this These scene. Fucking guys. Yeah, you can just imagine this scene, like real life Cluedo. Yeah. Like it's a real, exactly. That's what it is. Like they're sitting down having a fancy dinner. Someone's presenting them a cold case. And they're going around it's sharing all part. their
2: theory. Exactly. Yeah, like, yeah. They're just getting... The, the cold case is basically like the after-dinner speaker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And after... At a golf club. <laughs> and they're then, all at a fancy golf club.
0: And then you have like a CBS in the corner and this excitable reporter who thinks he's in, amongst all these cool people. So um, Andranco, the guy who was uh, was the partner of the, the dead woman, um, Zoya, was a thousand miles away in florida at the time of her death he watched the 48 hours episode from his apartment with his mouth open so um his <laughs> medical he was a doctor and his uh medical practice had been uh had been upended oh yeah i think there's obviously conversation going on in the room about like it's the partner or whatever so like his his work life his career is completely upended patients cancelling their appointments medical practice just um was just destroyed and he was never charged with a with a crime so uh he uh, another man who watched the same episode a detective called james churchill um said that it was they never even looked the vidoc society never even looked at the file in that episode they never had any statements they never had any medical records they were just it was just preposterous so um there there's like obviously there's there's issues now forming that they're getting too excitable and that there's too much involvement from the media and like there is going to be mistakes there is going to be these kind of High-profile mistake. Yeah, and you've got eighty-two men, presumably, well, eighty-two people in a room. You've got all this attention on on Richard Walter because he's the star. He's this like genius. He's the Sherlock. And you have other people who want to have their moment, I guess, in the spotlight where they're the ones who are Mm. finding that like obscure clue and solving Mm. a cold case.
2: I bet you they're all trying to like work on their personal brand at this point and be like, which guy am I? Walter has homes and Frank Bender is the cool artist. And like I can imagine, you know, one of them maybe involving like an eye patch. Yeah. G- getting an eye patch, some other kind of like aesthetic. an emotional support peacock. Perhaps. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um so you they have need a USB. Yeah. You have all these other people, like we just said, who who wanna find their crime and find their moment and find their fame. One is a Philadelphia homicide detective named Bob Snyder. And in a meeting of the Vidoc Society in April 1992, Snyder walks onto a podium, opens a thick file, and presents a cold case murder of Deborah Wilson, an undergraduate at Drexel University who'd been killed after working into the night at a computer lab.
2: Jesus, America is just never short of murders. Rife
0: with the murders, like. So as waiters served lunch, members of the society viewed photos... (laughs) bloody like this is just it's a good day out they're like. at a fucking
2: buffet
0: they are at a buffet oh my they're god. at like a wedding without the boring bits
2: yes oh my <laughs> god
0: so um they're viewing photos of the crime scene um, and <laughs> and foam around the mouth which indicates strangulation oh,
1: oh they're all foaming around the
0: mouth uh, they are they're all getting they're really excited looking at the, the details dicks. yeah pointing them out to each other talking Eating about their vol- the on, the photos. yeah like
2: Having afterwards a bit of stroganoff perhaps <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's it like how's your chicken like look at the foam in her mouth anyways um, after uh, what is it? after Snyder presents the case Walter obviously stands up and offers an insight yeah, for real. Wilson Deborah Wilson the murder victim her sneakers had been removed indicating that the killer had a foot fetish mm. so
2: it's a little obvious mm.
0: it's on the nose, isn't it? So police later searched the home of a man called David Dickinson, a security guard who was on duty the night of the murder. And they found a collection of women's sneakers and foot fetish pornography. Oh, oh well then. The press called him Dr. Skull, and Dickinson was charged with the murder. So in... <laughs> After
2: the- Footbrand.
0: <laughs> yeah. In court, his attorney protested that the alleged motive was absurd. So, this man is a sneaker sniffer, not a murderer, he cried. But the prosecutor, Roger King, was a powerhouse who claimed to have put more men on death row than anyone else in the history of his office. On the, one jury deadlocked, but King won the retrial and Dixon was sentenced to life in prison. Shit. So, yeah. Oh. Yeah, yeah. And d- didn't do it well. She's got a foot fetish. It's all. Well.
2: It fits the profile. It oh fits my god! The profile kink shaming prick.
0: So um, the Viddock Society obviously given. Meanwhile, Walter
2: is they yeah.
0: just sauntering around, smoke, chain smoking in his train. I mean, he's got a cool aesthetic from what I can picture in my head. Sherlock Holmes. There is nobody cooler than Sherlock Holmes. Um, so Vidox suck. Pin a medal on Snyder and the club celebrating this major case, but the real winner, not Bob Snyder, who presented the case, was of course Walter, who noticed this, this small obscure detail and is like, you know, heralded as this genius. So the theory had led to the arrest and the conviction, and it would be one case that he would cite in media interviews for years to come. I noticed this small detail, and here was your man who had a house full of of shoes. So um, back to that prosecutor, uh, King, the man who prided himself on having put people on death row, Roger King.
2: A dubious brag, yeah, yeah. isn't
0: it? Oh my God, yes. So in 2016, the King...
2: people sentenced to death. Yay yeah, yeah. you. You can just imagine him
0: t- talking into a big steak and being yeah. like, I put more men on death row. I have my
1: last meal every night. Um,
0: So King dies in 2016 and five years later, the Philadelphia Inquirer published a major investigation into his tactics, Uh finding that he had routinely manipulated witnesses, withheld evidence, employed jailhouse snitches whose whose credibility was suspect, including John Hall, who testified against Dixon. Hall's wife had helped him fabricate testimony by sending newspaper clippings to him in jail. Nothing he said was true. She told the inquirer, and at least seven of King's murder convictions were then overturned after this investigation. So, like, he's Yikes. a dodgy character. So, um, Dixon obviously is like, this is my chance. Uh, and in the fall of that year, his attorney files a petition with the court arguing that King withheld or twisted information critical to Walter's foot fetish theory, including the possibility that victim's sneakers may not have been taken from the scene at all, that it could have just come off. Yeah. So they're like, you know, presenting all the evidence in court to fit this profile that Walter has created to pin it all on this man. And actually, not only is are Walter's credentials iffy and, you know, questionable, then you meet this other questionable character and it's just like this perfect storm for this man to be convicted and sent yeah, to life yeah, in prison.
2: Yeah, like two horrible egos. Exactly, yeah. exactly.
0: Um, so the Richard Walter... Oh yeah, so it might not be taken from the scene at all. So that is kind of going... That was going on. You know, things are starting to unravel a little bit for um, for Walter and the Vidocq Society as we get into 2016 and the... Uh, following years because they're starting to really examine the the i suppose the the supposed the validity that of they've had oh uh, yeah, yeah of just someone making assumptions about a a character and a profile and perfect murderer so um there was there was a, a behind the scenes as as the vidoc society is coming to prominence there are also other cases of people being suspicious of um, of Walter and his credentials so throughout the night despite I suppose heralding himself as this like profiling expert and like this sought after you know um, criminal mastermind or like you know this person who's like incredibly knowledgeable he's still working in the Michigan correction system as a psychologist um, and the profiling is really happening on his sidelines so some people were like pointing the finger being like, if he has, if he's as good as he says he is and he's got this big international reputation, why is he working in a prison for $10,000 a year? You know, like the math ain't math and something isn't adding up there. Mm. They're so, also
2: doing other maths on the 5,000 cases he investigated as part of, the, part of the coroner's office when he was there for barely a year. Exactly,
0: right? So a lot of people saw through Walter's act. A retired FBI agent called Greg McGarry recalls that the Behavioural Science Unit once invited Walter to ask him questions about uh, inmate behavior. And he says the narcissism was obvious. He really thought he knew a lot, um, Macquarie says. The agents learned little and he was not invited back. Richard Walter is largely a poser. And what I say about Richard is he's an expert at being an expert, at playing one and convincing people that he is one. Mm
2: -hmm. He should develop like some kind of life hack sort of strategies for life jordan peterson style thing yeah, and exactly. like make a mint yeah yeah he's obviously a salesman
0: yeah so i mean but at the core of this there are people who've been
2: Prosecuted Tap into your killer instinct, yeah, that could be what it was called. And it's all about, like, you know, how to take life and go for the jugular exactly. and stab life to death and win. It seems like the key to success, though, is like forming
0: some sort of like society and that having piggybacking on maybe some successes that they've had because there are obviously people, that 82 people in the room, not mm. all of them, I think. Have been bad. There's there would have lunatics. been some yeah, there remember. were some genuine crimes that were solved as a result of the work of that society like the vidok sock is still going mm. it's still in it's still a thing so it obviously has some
1: validity and, yeah and
0: success um but at the core of all this narcissistic behavior and this weird advancing oneself you do have real people who've been prosecuted and those people are were struggling Throughout their, their, uh, throughout their prison sentences and throughout the last two decades, three decades, to get anyone to pay attention to them, even when Walter was caught in obvious lies. So in 1995, Robbie Drake, who still had decades to go in his sentence, um, was digging into Walter's resume from his maximum security prison in New York um, on using an old computer. He had married a nurse 24 years, a senior named Marlene, and she helped requesting documents and contacting Walter's former employers. So they found the various ways in which Walter had perjured himself. But when Drake appealed, a court denied his motion without a hearing. So this goes back to the time when he was standing. And this goes back to the claim that he'd uh, worked on these 5000 cases that he had lied on. He swore an oath and
2: described his CV. And it was, like most CVs, padded out with lies and conjecture. A lot of lies. Um. So then Marlene sends the American Academy of Forensic Scientists
0: a 13-page dossier of Walter's inflations and outright falsehoods. Officials at the organization acknowledged in internal memos that Walter has padded his resume, but they decided to reveal as little as possible about their internal deliberations. Um, so one... Uh, uh, a pathologist, Don Harper Mills, said, we do not worry about public appearances. Who um, was He was the chairman of the Ethics Committee. Mm. Um, and in February 1996, in a letter to Marlene, Mills delivered his verdict in a single paragraph. Most of the issues do not involve the Academy's code of ethics, he wrote. The committee has concluded unanimously that there was no misrepresentation and therefore no code violation. So... That is, like, basically they're giving license to Walter to continue, even though they're acknowledging that, like, all of these are lies. But it's convenient for them to allow him to continue because it's resulting in convictions, even mm-hmm. if those convictions are wrong. Mm-hmm. Um. So the, you know, expert witnesses lying on the stand and... You know, but the thing, I suppose the thing is specifically about Robbie Drake was that, like, he had killed those two people. It was just the weird motive that had given him the life, the consecutive life sentences Mm. and not manslaughter.
1: Without that motive, presumably he would have gotten... A much lesser sentence. Do you think much lesser? Well, there's a real
0: significant difference, I think, between manslaughter Manslaughter and murder. murder. I see. Um, Or
1: he, you know, he... And when... like is that man still in prison? I'll have to look that up in a I'm second. I'm sure he is probably. Like his conviction wasn't overturned or reduced. I
0: don't think it was overturned.
2: I'm more upset for the foot fetishist. <laughs> I true. just feel like he that was That's unfair. That was unlucky. Yeah. He just was in the vicinity. That's true. Like, so. you know, and by in the vicinity, like in the city. Yeah. Enjoying his foot fetishing. Perfectly Ill- perfectly, perfectly above board fetish. And then got fucking dragged into that because the other guy did stab your man for sure, like that. Yeah. He is, the he himself Sorry. isn't even denying that one. You're dead right. Whereas the poor foot fetishist, just like you know, was probably dusting off dusting his collection of shoes when yeah. they like barged down his door. And we're like, this guy, this, this guy over here has just said it's you. And so we believe it's you. And now yeah. it's you. And now, now it's down. you. Exactly. The whole American, like, quote unquote, justice system is so wild. Like the so fact that, flawed. like, they pay expert witnesses to essentially say whatever kind of fits the defense or prosecution's thesis yeah. is totally insane like it's insane that that's allowed to go on
0: yeah it's crazy
2: yeah maybe i'm being really innocent is there paid witnesses in ireland i don't think so
0: i mean i think expert witnesses are like called as part of their work like i don't think yeah. that they get paid for appearing in court i'm sure you would though
1: I mean, why else would you <laughs> i don't yeah, know sorry if it's kind of your job anyway surely that's yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I don't
0: think we have, like, freelancer profilers and stuff like that in the way that they There's do stars, here in the States. Star expert witnesses. Like, I don't think you can set yourself up as someone who's going to operate within the criminal justice system. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, the yeah. same way they seem to be able to do in the States, where you have, like, private detectives and, like, all of these other people being yeah. called in and, like, and in expert sp- witnesses for hire, like, expert psychologists and stuff who seem to, you know.
2: There's expert witness training programs. Where you can like get trained as being a witness. No way. Yeah, yeah. So if you have some kind of specialization and then you can do this training program thing that like helps prepare you for court. Ooh. Isn't that -hmm. like interesting? It's wheels within wheels of profiteering. Exactly. Yeah. Um so let's go back to Walter's uh you know body
0: of of work. So there although there's a hundred papers and presentations listed on his resume. A quarter, roughly, pertain to homosexuality or sex crimes. So he seems to probably have this like preoccupation mm-hmm. on this, and dealing with the with uh, the homosexual man as a kind of like as enemy. a exposed predator. Yeah. So, oh, um Walter. in a, in a paper that he was called "Homosexual Panic and Murder" is a case study based on interviews he conducted with an inmate who had murdered a man and then cut o- cut off one of his testicles. Said so the homosexual, not really a man, Walter testified once in a murder case. He is a discount person. Therefore, no. if I need to be great, if I need to satisfy my ego, if I need to satisfy my needs for power, if I need to surmount, if I need to have a demonstration of my power, well, what better way to do it? Um. So not a good
1: look, Walty.
0: Not a great look. So in September 2002, two police officers from Texas flew to Philadelphia for the society's help in solving a cold case. According to a 2003 account in Harper's, during a private meeting after a lunch, Walter in lurid detail, pronounced the murderer a case of homosexual, pronounced the murder a case of homosexual panic with one man suddenly suddenly killing another. He and Frank Bender invited the detectives out for dinner, where Walter becomes increasingly more drunk and um, starts bragging about they're making a movie about us. And saying that Frank's the pervert and I'm the guy with the big dick. So he's, oh, he's the, 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 wheels, smile. the wheels are coming off, right? Uh, and he continues to press his theory. Um, he said it seemed like it didn't matter what the case was. He just thought it was some kind of sexual deviancy or homosexuality, which I disagreed with, said one of the Texas officers. No arrest has actually ever been made in the case. Um, and he says Walter was no help. So it sounds like by the early noughties, he's just getting more and more outrageous. High off yeah, and creating like he needs the a cases, big headline case exactly. The cases are becoming more deviant or whatever he wants to deem them as. So in September 20, 2000, Walter retired from the Michigan Department of Corrections, where he continued working as a as a, as a psychologist. Doing that, I guess that kind of job where he was interviewing people as they came in and he was 57 at the time and he moved to uh pennsylvania uh to a small town called montrose where everyone was falling over him because of his reputation Um, so he tells neighbors you know he woos neighbors this is dinner party guest thing with being you know all the stories of him testifying in murder trials he says he came to he said he came to montrose to testify in a murder trial and then fell in love with the town and decided to stay. Um, but two attorneys who were involved in the murder trial were like, we never met him. He's mm. never here for that. So around that time, he's taken on more freelance work. He uh, is going around small towns in America. His presence is always front page news. Um, and at least in at least seven separate cold cases, Walter spoke to local reporters and delivered his catchphrase. A warning to the killer that his arrest was imminent. So, don't buy any green bananas, was what he used to used to say. <laughs> it's a good catchphrase, actually. That no, is, it
2: is cool. I have it? a weird fondness for a crunchy banana. So do I. Yeah.
0: Mm. Rather that than a very overripe one. Mm. Walter's work <laughs> led to five. <laughs> it's
1: a bit of giving it.
0: <laughs> um, in Walter's work did not lead to arrests in five of the cases. In a sixth, his favorite suspect, a Catholic priest, died by suicide and Walter claimed credit for his death. Oh, what? So he's being, he's deemed, like, he's just, he's, he's a, a fucking, fucking nuisance. Like, he's just, nuisance. yeah, pointing the finger at people ruining their lives or, like, derailing Or trials. boring people
2: at dinner parties. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, which is the bigger crime here?
0: It's mad. So, as all this is going on, and there is kind of, I suppose, this growing awareness that Walter is a freak. <laughs> that
2: he's just going <laughs> around like he's a freak in like the streets, like and a maverick in the streets. Yeah, that's his new catchphrase. I
0: think they're kind of, kind of trying to like quietly deal with this because they don't want to open up his previous cases and acknowledge that like oh, they had at yeah. one stage held him in really high regard. And as we move into the naughties, everyone's like. Oh, not Walter again. I oh, finally got it wrong with that guy. Um, maybe he's not Sherlock Holmes and he's out there like chain smoking, getting drunk, talking about movies that are going to be it made about days. him. Yeah, yeah. So it's like, you know, the the clouds are clearing and kind of the wheels are coming off. So meanwhile, obviously though, you have like Robbie Drake who's persisted in appealing his conviction. And in January 2003, he finally got a win. Referring to Walter and his piquarism theory, a federal judge wrote that the witness talking about Walter was a charlatan and that his testimony was medically speaking nonsense. So in a deposition (laughs) that July, Walter was evasive as Drake's attorney pressed him on the tasks he performed at the LA County Medical Examiner's offices. Oh my God, oh, he was cleaning the toilet. Yeah, yeah. So the attorney asks, what were you doing? The pipettes. Good question. <laughs> Walter replied. And the attorney is like, it's the only question.
2: It's, it is the question. Um,
0: so by 2009, this uh, Second Circuit Court decided that it had seen enough that Walter had perjured himself with with prosecution's knowledge. So judges ordered a new trial um in the, the in the R- Robbie Drake case and they used a technique for analyzing bullet trajectory to argue that Drake had been closer to the Chevy than initially thought suggesting that he must have known people were inside in 2010 a jury convicted Drake again oh, he had exposed Walter as a fraud, fraud but for his troubles the judge extended his original 40-year sentence by an Ooh. extra decade
2: what? Oh no! A
0: classic case of doing something wrong and then drawing attention to it. Oh dear. Um. So, but I mean, the thing is, he probably thought it was an open and shut case when he was like, like when he realized that peacarism wasn't a thing. He was like, "Oh, I'm going to get off here." Yeah. But hadn't yeah. realized that actual criminology and actual science had advanced so much since the decades that he'd been originally convicted. Yeah. So I guess he was just like, "Oh, fuck this." Um. I don't,
2: you're like, oh. Killed two people in cold blood. Two young children at the beginning of their lives. I know! Yeah, so... I know, there's something gonna, about Dickerson that it kind of captured our hearts for some reason. I Guess. mean, even though we knew all along there was no question about him killing those people. Like, yeah, he had he done did. it. But intent- when it
0: was intentional, he just did it by
2: accident. Except for the second bit the stabbing, of the stabbing. And then shoving the body in the boot. Um,
1: Screaming can be jarring though. <laughs> but he is, he is <laughs>
0: crucial in that he does start, you know... They do are they are like this. Walter guy is a fucking. Yeah, well, he that. had a grudge like, and time yeah, to nurses. Yeah, so um, that's all kind of unfolding. Poor guy doesn't get off. Um, in, in so 2010, there's still like the the society are still really active in 2010. If you can remember that, like they had in 2010 solved a case that had been cold for 10 years in the pointing the finger at the boyfriend mm-hmm. for the missing girl. So um but things are starting to massively, massively um Unravel. Yeah. So Michael duh, 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 There's a at the time then it's, there's still loads of stuff um there's still loads of stuff in pop culture and the media about the Vidox Society and a an author called Michael Capuzo had written a bestseller on um who had written a bestseller on Shark Attacks had gotten a, a deal to write a book about the Vidok Society um the publishers weekly described it as a true tale about a mysterious group of skilled detectives who use their skills to solve only the most despicable of crimes led by a figure who seems to be a contemporary sherlock holmes
2: how mysterious are they they're not quite a lot of film cruising yeah um (laughs) another
0: another author called ted botha sold a proposal for a book about frank bender and his forensic sculptures um but he worried about the Michael Capuza's three-year head start of him. So he never, but he said he never came across anyone actually spoken to Capuza about the book. He said, I was quite amazed. This guy's gotten a whack load of money. He had an $800,000 advance for the book. Ooh. And there doesn't seem to be anything happening. So both the Ted Botha has interviewed Walter, but got it, got it that something was amiss. He confined Walter to a handful of pages when he published the book The Girl with the Crooked Nose in 2008.
1: Similar to the dragon tattoo, but a little different. Yeah. Or the pearl earring. There's a lot of girls with things. With things, it's true.
0: But meanwhile, in the background, it seems like Capuzo, who had been the original author, given that big advance, was slow to write the book. seems to be because he had encountered all of these um inconsistencies in Walter's resume and realized that the book that he initially pitched that it was going to be like this great insight into the guys was actually gonna be something them. completely different. Mm. Um, oh. So The Murder Room was published in 2010. It was an instant hit um that and despite kind of the the summary and the prose describing Walter as the angel of vengeance he expanded on dozens of the falsehoods in Walter's resume. Um he he talks about how he was how he dealt with the prisoners in the system, saying he could shut off hot water and he used to put inmates in on a diet of prison loaf with three meals a day, blended and baked into a tasteless brick. Oh, um, he used to say things like, You will learn to control yourself or I will control you. Uh, but a, a prison spokesperson disputes that a psychologist could leverage showers and meals in that way um, n- you know, maybe it was just a story that Walter had told when he was obviously out bragging as he seemed to do so um, that's that's that that's, that's, that's pretty much that it. is he still that's, alive is, Walter is he still listening to alive? this <laughs> Probably
1: is. Reach out, Walter. <laughs> what did he what was what did he say about the homosexuals again?
2: Homosexual panic. The
1: homosexual panic.
2: It's like, yeah. He was like, the satanic panic was so good. I'm Go gonna try right and start my is. own panic.
0: <laughs> I think he could be. Yeah, I think he could be. Um could be dead. No, could be still alive.
2: <clears throat> God fair blame
0: so um
2: well exhausting
0: yeah there's loads there's loads of stuff there's loads and loads and loads of stuff out there out there about him it's very very interesting there was yeah there was a long read last month in the uh in the new york magazine about One of his cases, I think it is about just one specifically of his cases, but basically um, it's kind of one of those, it's one of those pieces that is drawing attention to how bad the criminal justice system is in America and um, how uh, this guy should not have been allowed to be a witness. Or an expert, or involved in any way in any sort of crimes, and how these days we can obviously um, very quickly refute a lot of his um, claims and all that kind of stuff. But back then, he was heralded as a genius when really he was nothing more than a fraud. Oh, I love it. He's
2: a fraud and a liar.
0: The a fraud and a liar and a skinny Mom. man with a small smile.
1: Is a liar. I Do you love a small smile? Thank you, Cassie. An Thank, epic you Cass. tale. Thank you, Cass. Thank you, Sophs. Thank you, dear listeners. Absolutely. Thank you, dear listener. Thank you all. Goodbye. We'll good week. night. Well, what's over on the patron this week for them?
0: Uh, we've got an update on the orphan Natalie ahead of the documentary being released this week, and we so had Munchausen's, Munchausen's when Munchausen's by proxy meets Munchausen's by the sounds of it, with unexpected twists and consequences. And Disneyland. And Disneyland. See you there. Bye. Bye.
2: Where's that
1: dust coming from?